dear congregation, in this morning, what is it that you are pleased with? Is there just one? Jesus Christ. That is the one that God himself is pleased with. As we find it in our text this morning, Isaiah 53, 10, and the first part of verse 11, where we read in the word of God, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. We are drawn to the Lord's pleasure in Christ's sacrifice. This is what these, these words are about, the Lord's pleasure in Christ's sacrifice. And we hope to see how this is shown first in Christ bruised, then Christ exalted, and finally Christ satisfied. The Lord's pleasure in Christ's sacrifice shows in Christ bruised, Christ exalted, and Christ satisfied. Just look at who this bruised one is. In the previous verse, verse 9, it speaks of how he had done no violence. He never hurt anyone. He was never cruel. He was never unkind. He was not a robber. He was not a thief like others who would be executed were. Instead, he went about, didn't he, doing good. He could ask his very enemies, which of you accuses me of sin? And there's none who could find anything wrong. And when he was put on trial, they even had to seek for false witnesses, and there was no false witness who had a good enough claim, a good enough story to condemn him. He had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He went about not speaking simply to, to please the people, not simply telling them what they wanted to hear, not deceiving them and misleading them in a way which would lead to their ruin. No, there was no deceit in his mouth. All his words were pure. All his words were good. All his words were right. Even when he, he spoke serious warnings, they were spoken in love. Even when he rebuked, they were rebukes in love. And grace was also poured from his lips. There was no deceit in his mouth. This is the one whom God calls later in verse 11, my righteous servant. This wasn't just the judgment of people. This was the judgment of God himself. He says, look, here is my righteous servant. God himself could find no fault in this one whom he ordained as his servant. He is my righteous servant. 
Should then God not have been so pleased with him that he would show him his love and his favor and crown him with glory and give him the life that never ends. Here on the face of this world, which is so full of sin, God could set his eye upon one and say, behold, my righteous servant. How pleased God was with him. And yet we read in our text those astonishing words. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, his righteous servant, and hath put him, who had done no violence and no deceit was in his mouth, put him to grief. And that word for bruise is not the word that simply describes when you're, you're walking and you, you hit the the corner of one of those benches and you later realize that you got a little black spot on your on your leg that you you bruised yourself this word is used for much greater suffering than that it's a word that's used in psalm 143 he hath smitten my life down to the ground that's the verb that's used or Lamentations 3, verse 34, when it speaks of crushing under his feet all the prisoners of the earth. The, the picture is of, of being crushed underfoot. Have you ever seen something crushed underfoot or driven over by a car? It's bruised, it's crushed, it's mangled. And we hesitate to even make the comparison and use that language. And yet that's the verb that the Holy Spirit inspired to use to describe what God has done to his servant, bruised him, crushed him under a great load. You see that physically in what he did as his hands and his feet and his back and his head were pierced. What suffering that was. And yet not a bone of his was broken. There was a crushing not only in his body, but also in his soul. Under the weight of the wrath of God, he was the man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs in his very heart, in his very soul, as he was despised and rejected of men, but worse yet, by the God who put him to grief. He was put to grief, and that word has a sense of being made sick and weak and pained. Micah 6 speaks of I also will make thee sick in smiting thee and making thee desolate because of thy sins. And now this judgment that he says will come upon a sinful people, he lays upon his son. And it reminds us that, that when Christ suffered, sometimes we think, well, he was a son of God, so that suffering must not have been so bad. No, he was put to grief. He was made to feel that pain in his sufferings, in his body, in his soul. 
as he was making his soul, it says, an offering for sin. What griefs filled his heart. We sang of it from Psalm 22. Psalm 22, he confesses, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. My righteous servant, it pleased the Lord to bruise him and put him to grief. This wasn't just about what people did to him, but the Lord himself. The text emphasizes the Lord. It's as if there's only two in this text. And the Roman soldiers we don't see. And those ones who cried out, crucify him, crucify him, we don't see. And those ones who are mocking him there at the cross, as we read of it from Mark, we don't see. We just see two. We see the Lord. And we see his servant. And we see the Lord bruising his servant. He spared not his own son, but he delivered him up. And the worst was not what he did through means of men, those whose hands took him and those who scourged him and those who pierced his hand. That was all great suffering, but the worst is not what he did by means of men, but what he did directly to his righteous servant. He was oppressed ultimately by God himself. He was smitten by God himself himself. You see that in the Gethsemane, don't you? When what gave him the greatest grief was that cup, and it was the cup of the wrath of God, the cup of the fury of God. My friend, if you've even smelt that cup, then you know it's indescribable what the wrath of God is. How much more for him to drink it to drink it in full, made him sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And the greatest agony of Christ was when there was only darkness and he was all alone, there before the God who was pleased to bruise him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And this is the mystery of it all. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. The Lord had a holy pleasure in bruising his righteous servant. And we say, how can that be? And it's not because he, he has this this pleasure in seeing suffering and pain and agony and death. If Jeremiah says he does not willingly afflict the children of men, then that how much more does that not apply to the Lord Jesus Christ? He's not filled, perish the thought, in a cruel delight in seeing suffering in itself. But he was pleased, nonetheless, to bruise his son because he saw 
in his son being bruised. First of all, the fulfillment of his perfect plan. This was his righteous servant who was carrying out his perfect plan of salvation. He had devised and decreed that plan already in eternity. He, he's, he, the Christ is spoken of as a lamb slain before the foundation of the earth because there in eternity God had devised that perfect plan of redemption. And now it's being carried out flawlessly. His son is not murmuring and resisting and hesitating in any way. He is being oppressed and yet he's going as a lamb to the slaughter. And the sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he opens not his mouth. He goes forward and he sees in that the execution of his plan of redemption. And that gives him pleasure. Gives him also pleasure to bruise his son because there in the bruising of the Lord Jesus Christ, the son in the flesh, his glorious perfections are glorified. There his justice is being satisfied. Ever since the fall, injustice had filled the earth and God's law had been violated. But in his bruised servant, he sees his justice maintained. He sees the just demands of his law upheld. And he sees the just punishment of his sin being, of his, of his, of sin being perfectly carried out in this Lamb of God. He sees him offering up his soul as a sacrifice for sin. Because he sees this lamb, this servant of the Lord, as the one on whom he has laid that great burden of iniquity. And as that substitute, he sees him bearing that punishment, enduring that punishment to the glory of his justice. And that gives God pleasure. And the marvel is that, do you see it? This servant of the Lord not only glorifies the justice of God, but also the gracious love of God. That God has provided a substitute to be there in the place of ones gathered here who confess, I deserve that wrath. I deserve to be bruised and to be crushed under the wrath of God. He says, there's a substitute. And it gives him pleasure to magnify his love and his grace in crushing his son. This is the wonder that he did it also to glorify his salvation in sinners who deserve to be, to be crushed. This is the thing we can never understand that he would say in Ezekiel 33, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And that here it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, this servant. What a divine, gracious, just pleasure is in him. And now we may be sure that Jesus' sacrifice for sin is pleasing to God. That God's divine heart is filled with pleasure 
in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He accepts it. He receives it. He has found it flawless. And he delights in this sacrifice of Christ. And my friend, if God delights in this sacrifice of Christ for sinners, is that not something for you to delight in as well? For you to have pleasure in as well? I asked, what are you pleased with? You're not pleased with yourself this morning, are you? You're not content with what you are, are you? You're not satisfied with your holiness and with your sanctification and with your even preparation for communion, are you? What are you pleased with? Is it only what pleases God? And that is this Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice offered up. Please the Lord to bruise him. In, as we are approaching the Lord's Supper, when you have so little to say about your own heart, see what God shows about his heart, so full of sinner's love, that he was pleased to bruise his servant. Is that not what draws to him, draws to his sacrifice, draws to his heart? And when your heart goes out to him, that you can only be pleased with him, what is that? Is that not the fruit of his grace as a living and exalted Savior? And so we see in this passage not only the Lord's pleasure in Christ's sacrifice, shown in Christ being bruised, but also in Christ being exalted. The Son willingly endured all that suffering for a reason, had a goal. Hebrews 12 speaks of Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down on the right hand of God. He saw the glory that was to follow. And that's also what this passage speaks of, doesn't it? He will be exalted. He shall be satisfied to see the pleasure of the Lord prosper. He shall justify many. In that way, the Lord will be glorified. This is a promise that was given hundreds of years before in the prophecy of Isaiah. And it was this that enabled Christ to endure the cross for that joy that had been promised him. The cross is not the final word. Death is not the final word. Never think of, of the Lord Jesus as if he is still upon the cross, as if he is still being crushed. Do not think of that even on a communion Sabbath. We gather together in this morning because Christ lives and he is fulfilling this promise. The Lord's Supper is not simply to commemorate the death of one who died long ago. Yes, we are to remember him also in his death, but we may do so because he lives and because he is the host and because he, he shows himself as the living savior today. 
the only reason why you, God's people, may share in the benefits of his suffering and profit from them by remembering him is because he lives so full of grace today. And God has said, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That word pleasure is the same word, has the same root as is used in verse 10. It pleased the Lord. The Lord who is pleased to bruise his son is now pleased to have his good pleasure prosper in the hand of this righteous servant whom he has exalted. The pleasure of the Lord, what is that? Is that not his entire purpose and plan for this world as it centers in his redemptive purposes and plans? It speaks in Ephesians 1 of the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he has purchased, purposed in himself that he might gather together in one all things in Christ in whom we also have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory. This is God's plan and pleasure. And who can carry it out? Our hands. If these plans were put in our hands for us to carry them out, my friends, it would be utterly hopeless. Because what are our hands? They're so helpless and we're so foolish. We, we cannot carry out this pleasure of the Lord. The Lord knows it, and that's why he's put it into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his hands, they will prosper. Prosper. Be effectual. Friends, often we want to have it in, in our hands. We want to manage with our hands. And that's our problem. By nature, that's all we do. We just try to manage on our own. But do you know what faith is? Faith realizes it's all in his hands and wants it to be so. If the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand, why should I try to th take things out of his hand and manage them on my own? Doesn't work. And it's such a dishonor to this glorious Christ. It's in his hands. And that's also a tremendous comfort. When you feel un how unable you are to handle things with your hands. How insufficient all the works of your hands are with regard to salvation. And all your own efforts are with regard to pleasing God. And all, how insufficient all your own efforts are to, to provide what you need in life. And there you are, discouraged. My friend, it's not in your hands. It's in his hands. The pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. And there's no obstacle that can be too great for his hands. All the mountains of guilt are not too great for his hand to clear away. 
All the deadness there can be is not too great for his hand to give life. All the enemies that there are cannot be too great for his hand to stretch out and rescue and protect. All the riddles that there can be in your life are not too great for his hand to stretch out, to give you wisdom, to give you light, to teach you, to lead you further. All the troubles of life and all the afflictions of life that you can feel I can't go on anymore are not too great for his hand to reach forth and find you there and to provide for you what you need for the next hours, the next days, as long as life shall last. Faith is knowing that his hand is sufficient and entrusting all into his hand. It's giving up trying to do God's work and on your own and folding those hands of yours and coming before him and expecting all from his hand. What a joy that knowledge of faith can give when you're discouraged because of your hands and what they spoil to find it all in his hand, that God has put it in his hands and it will prosper in the hands of the Lord. It will. What a blessing. Is that not also the message of the Lord's Supper? You don't come in order to work with your hands. You don't come with the work of your hands, what you've done. You come with empty hands, stretched out, and amidst that you hear him say, Take, eat. His hand is stretched out to give. To give what? What he has worked with his hand. And what is in his hand to give all the riches of his grace that the Father has entrusted to him for him to give with his hands, all those riches which he has secured by his hands being pierced upon the cross. Then you may be comforted. He shall see his seed. He shall see the travail of his soul, and he shall be satisfied. That's the last aspect the Lord's pleasure in Christ's sacrifice, not only in Christ bruised and Christ exalted, but also Christ satisfied. There's a perfect harmony between what pleases the Lord and what satisfies the Lord Jesus. The Son will be satisfied in carrying out the perfect pleasure of the Lord God. There's perfect harmony here. The pleasure of the Father is the joy of the Son. It says, He, the servant, shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Travail and satisfaction are placed together. Travail as a sense of trouble, misery, pain, sorrow. But here it doesn't say Christ will feel that travail that pain, that suffering, but he will see the travail of his soul. In other words, he will see the rich benefits that were secured by the travail that he endured. You think of the picture of a woman who suffers, who suffers in childbirth. 
She travails in birth, and that child is born, and she sees the fruits of her travail. And the Bible even says she forgets the sorrow for the joy of the gift that God has given her. It's a picture here. Christ will see that he's not suffered in vain. He will see the fruits of his sufferings. That's what enabled him to continue on in his sufferings. And that's what he delights in also now as he is exalted. What is that? Travail that he sees. What are the fruits of his sufferings that he sees? And satisfy his heart. Will he not see it this morning? There, the fruits of his suffering. When he sees sinners who've come to realize they're lost on their own, deserving of death, and he sees sinners who have found their life, their salvation, in him, confessing that, is his soul not satisfied? Because he sees the fruits of his sufferings. It says at the end of verse 11, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. By the knowledge of Christ, sinners shall be justified. They will be declared right with God. They will be have their guilt cleansed away. They will be righteous in the sight of God because they will receive his perfect righteousness. And when Christ sees that, it gives him joy because he sees the fruits of his sufferings. Oh, my friend, will you be at the table this morning in that way as just the fruits of the sufferings of Christ? It's nothing of you. It's nothing of what you've done. It's all of him and what he's done to secure that grace in his offering up his soul as a sacrifice for sin and also what's come from his mighty hand to you by his Holy Spirit in saving you, in bringing you to himself, in having mercy upon you in the midst of your sin and that he just sees the fruits of his own grace, that you may be there as a testimony of the, of the wonder of the grace of this God and the pleasure of this God carried out by the hand of this Christ. That's what makes it so rich. If it's you are there as the fruits of his sufferings, and you may be there in order to receive the fruits of his sufferings, to receive the, the grace that he has secured by his sufferings. Then it's all, all him. It says, he shall see his seat. He shall. Because he draws that seed to himself. And he shows himself to that seed to enable to live by faith in him, him alone, and so benefit 
from him. I had asked, what are you satisfied with this morning? What pleases you this morning? Oh, my friend, if it's anything but Christ, and there's not a place for you at the table, but you're also in such desperate need of this Christ, this Christ who still lives for the pleasure of the Lord to prosper in his hand and his grace to be glorified in sinners who flee to him. But my friend, if this is what pleases him, if this is what pleases you, this Christ, him alone, then it's true you can look at yourself and you can see so many things you're not pleased with. So much in your heart that you're not pleased with. And it can make you think, how can, can God see me as the fruits of the sufferings of Christ and be pleased? He does, by his grace, because of what he sees of Christ on you and in you. But there is another sense in which this Christ will not be satisfied. He will not be satisfied as long as you're still what you are here. He will not be satisfied until the whole pleasure of God is carried out. Until you see him as he is and you're like him. That's the ultimate fruit of his sufferings. He took the place of his sinful bride, crushed under the wrath of God to give her his place before the throne of God, there to be satisfied. And then he will say, it was all worth it to have my bride with me forevermore to my praise and to the glory of the good pleasure of God and his grace. And the Lord's Supper is a foretaste. And a pledge. It's a pledge in which he comes and he says on that journey through life, the best is yet to come. That's sealed by the blood of Christ. Amen.